for the blood applied. Amen. Thankful for the blood. Thankful that he is our Savior. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, if you want to be turning there in your Bible. Well, I hope Dale's got somebody. There you come. Um, Galatians chapter 1. You know, I made a statement last week as we looked at Judgment Journey and, and, and mentioned the, the, the great amount of work. Thank you, brother. Um, certainly all the money that has to be raised and everything that, that is going to go into this. And, and I made the statement. I said, it's okay. It's okay because I know who we're working for. Sometimes... Sometimes we just need to be reminded of who it is that we're working for. Amen. You know, I, there, there's not anybody that knows me on this earth that cannot know that I love this church. You just, you just can't. I don't think you can be around me. I don't think you can see what I wear constantly all the time in my heart. I just I don't think you can be around me and not know how much I love this church. And I think that's probably the same is true for all of us. We love this church that God has put together. But the truth is, I don't work for this church. I work for the Redeemer of the church. We, we don't serve. I, I love you. I don't, I don't think anybody can have any doubt about that. I just, I just don't. If, if you do, my apologies. My apologies that you can't know how much I love you, that I, I don't show that enough because I really feel like everybody should know and I love this group of people. I, I've told you recently that, that I, I, I don't know, I don't know that I've ever been associated with what I, I believe is a, is a more knit or, or a greater spiritual group of people, a, a, a stronger group of prayer warriors. I just don't. I just, I, I truly believe in, in this congregation of God's children. I just I do. I love I love you, and I, I believe you love each other, and, and I got high hopes that some of you love me back. But the truth is, that's not why we serve, because I don't work for you. And you don't work for each other. I work with you, and we work with each other, but we work for the one who paid the price. We work for the one that, that ransomed our souls. So sometimes it's important... <laughs> Just to maybe take a look. So the Apostle Paul, of course, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write a letter to the churches at Galatia. There's some, a few small churches there in the southern region of Galatia. They were started by the Apostle Paul before he went on his missionary journey. And so he writes a letter back to the churches. But the Holy Spirit penned it through the hand of Paul and then preserved it through the word of God, to hand it to the church of LaGrange, Georgia. So this morning, I want to start Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. Paul said, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. All the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Verse number 3, he says, grace be unto you, peace from God the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Then he says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, what we do is important. But why we do it and who we do it for is more important. 
What we do may be important, may be seen of men, but if we do it to be seen of men and we receive a pat on the back, they have their reward. So what we do truly does matter. But why we do what we do and who we do it for matters more. Amen. So I want to look for just a few minutes this morning at who is it for. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for the precious blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus that washes away sin. Father, it's why we're here. It's why we're gathered. It's why we're redeemed. It's why our name is written. Everything is about the blood. Father, it's why we come as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's why we worship. It's why we have a reason to sing. It's why we lift our voices and we have an atmosphere of praise. It's because of the blood. I just want to tell you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the gift. Thank you, sweet Holy Spirit, for your presence. I'd ask you, God, would you move in this place? I pray most of all you'd help us to be pleasing to you in all that we do. I pray you'd speak to each one of us, your children, your servants, that we might serve you better. We love you, God. It is our heart's desire to be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. We see the Apostle Paul. He starts out with his signature. And I was looking at that this week and kind of looking at his letters. And to be honest, that's kind of Paul's stamp, if you will. Paul starts out with his signature. He, he writes letters. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote 13 of the New Testament epistles that we call books of the Bible. And we know that, that he signs those. And he, a Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and for the furtherance of the gospel. And Paul always identifies himself uh, as one who is a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many who credit the book of Hebrews to the Apostle Paul and say that he wrote 14 of the books of the New Testament. I don't know. Neither do they. It doesn't say who wrote Hebrew, so we don't know. They Some say that the style of writing is the same, and that's why they know he wrote it. I don't know that I agree with that, but I'm not a scholar, so what I think really doesn't matter. But I know in Paul's letter, Paul talks about his life a lot. Amen? You know, the best examples that I have is my life. My mistakes are enough. I don't need yours to tell somebody else about God's grace. My mess-ups are enough. I don't need the things you've done wrong for me to explain the, the, the bountifulness of God's mercy upon a sinner's life. I got enough of my own. And the Apostle Paul uses his life a lot, not glorying in himself. I mean, although at one time he does talk about follow me, he understands he's, he's speaking to a different church there. But, but Paul talks a lot about his mistakes and he says that he glories in tribulation. And so he writes a lot of times things about his own life. And so for that reason, I don't, I don't know that he wrote Hebrews because he never mentions himself anywhere in it. And, and he doesn't have a signature, but honestly, that, that's all irrelevant. And I don't, I don't know why I'm rattling off at that. My, my apologies. Let me get back to the message because when I was looking and thinking about Paul's signature and how he always opens up with, with his signature, you, you know, when, when they, when, when a letter came in from the apostle Paul, it said that, that the word was sent out in any church within a region, even close by anybody that identified themselves as a Christian or follower of Christ or disciple of Christ, everybody came. It was a big deal. When a letter came from the apostle Paul, anybody and everybody came and not just the Christians, but the Jews came because they wanted to hear the two cents. They won't try to stir up. We talked about the enemy's always present. We'll look at him again. But, but anybody that was anybody that had anything to do with the goodness of God and the glory of Jesus Christ, they came for one reason. There was a letter came that said it was signed by the apostle Paul. 
And they came in great numbers because they wanted to hear it because what he had to say was a great influence on other people. Man, I started looking at that and I, man, you talk about feeling like a stray dog. My, my signature has no importance. I started thinking about my own life and then I realized we're supposed to set our standard against Jesus Christ himself. He's the benchmark, but I don't have to go all the way to Christ to find out how low I am. I can look around and find people in this church and see people way above my benchmarks. I can look at the Apostle Paul, and, and it just made me wonder, you, you know, I mean, when the Apostle Paul, when he signed something, it, his signature was priceless. So is mine, but for the opposite reason. His was priceless because there was an untold value of his signature. Mine's priceless because it has no, no value at all. So it made me wonder, who am I really living my life for? What, 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 difference, what difference am I making? Paul's signature and, and the importance of his signature summarizes the importance of his life. His signature carries so much weight because he poured so much into the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is his life that sold out who he was. It's not his words, and because his life was so abundantly served for the will of God, then his words became very important. Paul makes it very clear here. My calling is not from men. Our calling is not from men. He, he makes it very clear that, that I don't work for men. It's not my desire to please men. It is my desire to please the one who saved my soul. It is my desire to please the one who changed my life, changed everything about me. My desire is, is to please Jesus Christ, he says, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, there's a reason why the Apostle Paul starts out this particular, particular letter to the church at Galatia. There's a reason why he opens up and, and he starts out the way that he does. Because as I just said, the enemy is always present. And we, we've talked a lot about the enemy lately, but, but the same thing has always been true. The enemy is always around. You know, in the day they had the Jews, would have been the legalistic Jews, it would have been the Judaizers, the one who brought the Old Testament law over into the New Testament. And, and what they're doing is they're going around Galatia and they're stirring up things about the Apostle Paul, who was formerly known as Saul. And I, I want to make sure it's still early in the message, so I'm hoping nobody's asleep yet. I'm, I'm hoping everybody's still with me. I hadn't lost you yet because I want to make sure that, that everybody gets this right here because I think this includes everybody. Well, let me say, this includes anybody that has a past. Does, does that include anybody? I, I, I got a pretty good idea. I got a pretty good idea that nobody's going to get excluded. So if everybody can just open for a couple minutes and then maybe you can catch up on your own. Oh, we got an extra hour of sleep tonight. Ain't nobody going to sleep this morning. We, we got all this time. So, so reality is everybody has a past. And so does the Apostle Paul. And just like with you and I, 
The devil used Paul's past just like he does our past, and he uses the mouths of other people that involve your past to try to stir things up, to try to tear you down, to keep you from being what God is looking for you to be, to keep you from doing what God is looking to do through your life both now and in the future. Now, the Jews, they've been stirring up lies in Galatia about the Apostle Paul. And they're like, he is no apostle. Well, he never even saw Jesus Christ. I know he makes up this story about some dream he had. He didn't say the, the road to Damascus was a dream. He said, I saw. He didn't say our vision. He didn't dream. Paul was wide awake. There wasn't no dream to his Damascus road experience. He met the son of the living God in person. And it is the son of God who called him into work. But they're like, nah, he makes up this story about a, a dream. He's no apostle at all. Can't you just hear him? Why, why, his name is Saul. You got to do more than change your name to be something different. Why, why, he, he's a trained rabbi. He was one of our best. Well, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel himself, one of the best trained, best teachers of rabbis that we've ever had. You know, he's the very one that tortured people like yourselves. He killed people just like you, anybody that calls themselves Christian. You let him lead you in your church. We got many orphans and, and, and widows that'll testify that he had people killed. Why, Stephen, one of the leaders of your own church himself, he led the charge against those who killed Stephen. And why, he's no, no. See, the enemy always brings up your past. The enemy will always want to bring in your past because the enemy knows the truth. You, you got your bulletin ready? He knows that you are a new creature in Christ. He knows that all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He knows exactly what happened when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior because he can see the blood. He sees the blood they just sang of that is applied to your life that washed away all your sin. He knows that your name is written down in heaven and everything is new. He can see the seal that is upon your forehead. You may not can see it, but praise God, you better be thankful it's there. There's a seal upon your forehead. And this is what it says to Satan. Do not touch. God says, this one's mine. This one was purchased at the expense of my son, the blood of my son, the empty tomb of my son. This one belongs to me. And the devil knows that he cannot touch a child of the living God. He can't do anything in your life except God allows it because the devil knows that you are a child of God. How many of you know ain't nobody touching your children? Without coming through you. Nobody's touching God's children. Without coming through him. And ain't nobody coming through God. So we know that we are a child of God. And the devil fears what he knows God will do through you. Therefore, he'll do everything he can to use our past. To keep us from being what God has called us to be. Because he fears your potential. 
How many of you can honestly look back at your life and you can know, thank you, praise God, thank you, Jesus. You can look back and you can honestly say, I am not what I was. You know what else you can say? I am not finished. I am not what I'm going to be. God brought me from there to here, but this is not my destination. This is just a journey. God still, and the devil knows those things, and he fears your potential. The apostle Paul says, don't worry about that bunch of liars. Everybody knows who I was, and everybody knows what I was. Amen? That's no secret. You ain't got to let the world gossip. Just come ask me. I'll tell you. Useless. No account. Filthy mouth. Trash mouth. Sorry. Good for nothing. On my way to hell and deserving of it. And I'll tell you, the only thing that has changed is that I ain't going to hell. Still filthy. Still sorry. Still good for nothing. Still deserving of going to hell. But ain't going. That's the only thing that changed. All by grace. Paul said, don't, don't worry about them. He said, everybody knows who and what I was. That's what makes God's grace even more amazing. That God's grace loves and saves somebody like me. Paul says, you and I didn't receive salvation from men, nor did we receive our call from men, nor, nor did we receive our commission from men but from Jesus Christ himself. See, that's what I love about what God gave us here. That's one of the things that makes me so excited looking at the next October, and I don't mean to just keep going back there, but you did not receive a commission to do judgment journey from the pastor of this church, from the staff of this church, from the deacons of this church, from a group of this church. You prayed, you sought God, you desired direction, you received your commission from God himself. You're doing judgment journey because God told you to. We're doing judgment journey because God told us to. We didn't sell you that. We didn't get our commission from people. We didn't get our commission from the internet. We didn't get our commission from drive. This group right here prayed for seven weeks, and this group got their commission from God. It's important we remember everything we do is for the glory of God. That, that's where we get our commission. The, the, the death and the resurrection. Paul's writing the church at Galatia and, and he's up against these Judaizers and, and all of their Old Testament stuff and all they're saying. And Paul simply says, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. See, Judaism after the cross is obsolete. When, when Jesus died on, on that cross, God himself reached down from heaven and rent the veil in twain. Matthew chapter 27 verse 51 says, Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. It is the perfect, complete picture that the veil of sin that separated man and God has been torn open and Jesus Christ is the veil. He is that spot between us and God. He is our access into the throne room of the Holy of Holies, whereby now we can come boldly into the throne room of grace that we might obtain mercy. We come through Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19 says, having therefore brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us 
through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. See, as Christians, <coughs> not, not just Christians, as disciples, as children of God, we have a, a crucified lamb, we, we, we have a, a rent veil, and we have a risen Savior. That, that is a clear and a perfect picture of, of the Old Testament law concerning the sacrifice having been forever fulfilled. Therefore, Judaism is, is no longer in effect. That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with with this church here at Galatia. Paul says... I got others here with me. There's others involved where I'm writing the letter. He says, I'm writing the letter. I want all of the churches at Galatia to, to come because, as I said, Paul is the one <clears throat> who started these small churches in the southern regions of Galatia before he went out. And, and so he writes this letter. And I, I want to take just a few minutes, and, and I want to look here at verses 3, 4, and 5, and, and then we'll be done. <clears throat> the letter, let, let, me, let me give you a little, a, a little something just for you real quick. The, the letter here in, in itself is, is written in three parts. We have an explanation. We're going to spend some time a little bit this morning. But, but Paul deals more with the historical matters. And, and then we have an exposition in the letter where Paul gives details or, or the foundation of some sound doctrine. And then in the last part of the letter, he gives an, an exhortation, which it, it appeals to the church about the importance of Christian living. Can I tell you how we live matters? How we live matters. Now, the reason I went in and gave you that is because, Lord willing, Wednesday night we're going to start the letter to the church at Galatians. We're going to do a study through this. And those of you that maybe you got kids and you bring them and, and you got other things, I want to ask you, just, just give Wednesday nights a try. We, we run anywhere from 40 to 60 in here on Wednesday nights. And all we do is just take the Bible and we break it down and study. And those are the things that we'll be kind of looking at. So I would ask you, by all means, your children need to be in children's church, Awana, all the things that go on anyway. I hope you have them here. But just, just come join us in here as, as we look through. But, but this morning, I want to look here at verses 3, 4, and 5 because Paul starts out by defining the gospel in its simplest form. He narrows it down to one word, grace. Grace be to you. And then he adds peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Now you add mercy into that and you've got probably the three greatest words of the Christian life. Probably the three greatest words out of the gospel. You, you got grace is God's unmerited favor. That's what grace is. That, that is God giving you and I forgiveness that we do not deserve. Grace is God's abundant blessing poured out onto the undeserving. Grace is simply God giving us all of the things that, that we don't deserve. Now, if I just add one in and throw mercy in, that's God not giving us what we do deserve. That, that is God withholding the judgment that we as sinners deserve. And, and the mercy withholds the punishment and the grace gives us heaven. The grace gives us the blessing, but, but mercy is the word here, uh, or peace is the word used here in the text. Now, you ready for peace? Anybody ready for peace? Peace means that the war is over. Anybody going through something right now? Anybody got some stuff going on in your life right now? It feels like a war. 
It feels like a battle, trouble, mountains in the way, deep, dark valleys. Can, can I tell you something? Though those are, those are battles. The war is already won. Our, our eternity is already sealed. You know, when, when, if, it, when, when countries go to war and, and a war is over, a peace treaty is signed. But that don't mean all the fighting's done. That don't mean that, that the, the people of those two countries don't still have a dislike for each other. There, there's still some battles to be fought. There's still some hurdles to come over. But, but the truth is, grace means that we are reconciled with God. And peace means it is well with my soul. In spite of what I'm going through, the war is over. The war is settled inside of me and everything, no matter what it is, even though it may be a struggle right now, all is well with my soul. Grace and peace from God the Father and the Son working together to, to make our salvation sure. The scholars have taken this letter to the church at Galatia and they've called it kind of like, if you will, a, a rough draft to the doctrinal giant that we have called the book of Romans. The, the, the letter to the church at Rome is considered the doctrinal giant of, of the church. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul said, You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Notice there in verse number 15, it says, God is our father. How awesome is it that you and I, sinners saved by grace, have the, the right to call God our father. Reading the Bible through in a year. We're narrowing it down. We're narrowing it. What are we down? Seven weeks or so to completion. The Bible through in the year. But you know, what we read about all the Old Testament is God's people. The Old Testament, we read about the Hebrews. Lord God, God is a patient God. That's true in my life. But it's true as we read the Old Testament. The, the Hebrew nation, the nation of Israel, this is God's chosen people. God said that. God appointed through Abraham. God's own chosen. They didn't get to call him father. Look at it. They called him the God of our father. Or our fathers, plural. They called him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was Jehovah God, God of the covenant. He's the one that the maiden, they call him the covenant keeping God. He is Elohim, the, the God of creation. He is Adonai, the sovereign Lord. But to you and I, he is personal father. He's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob alone. He is the God of plug in your name. He is our very own personal Father, Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. By good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. I want you to understand 
what we're preparing to do is not going to come without offenses. What we're going to do is not going to come without darts, fiery darts thrown in from people that have a sign out by the road that says church. Somebody wake up and listen. See, he says, mark them, which are contrary. Mark them. See, it's important. We, we got to know our Jesus is the eternal, uncreated, self-existing son of the living God. Our Jesus is the one who came as a man, died on Calvary's cross, bore our sins in his body, and then rose from the grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Our Jesus is the one who created the heavens and the earth. Our Jesus, matter of fact, the, 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 Bible, the Bible tells us, our, our Jesus, that's not the right place. We're going to find the right place. It won't take but a minute. The Bible tells us, that our Jesus in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. That's our Jesus, creator. It, it says in him was, was life and the life was the light of men. And, and the light shineth into darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Darkness didn't understand the light then, and darkness don't understand the light now. And darkness is still going to speak against the light, but darkness has no power over the light because where the light is on, darkness has to flee. It doesn't mean darkness doesn't try. It means that darkness can't prevail. So, so it's important that, that we look because our Jesus is the one who stepped down out of glory, entered into the womb of the virgin and became one of us so that he might pay our sin debt for us. Our Jesus is the one, not just born of a virgin, Mary was important virgin, that there be no sin put in there. Because our Jesus lived, lived a sinless life. He, he walked on this earth. He, he healed the sick. He, he walked on water. He turned water into wine. He, he called the dead out of the grave. He, he, he cleansed the, the, the leper and he, he fed the multitudes. But at the end, he died an atoning death. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He was raised on the third day. And then after, after the resurrection, our Jesus was seen by many infallible proofs and was seen as he ascended up into the heavens to be seated at the right hand of the Father where he is our propitiation. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. He is our great high priest. See, our Jesus has purchased the blood-bought bride called the church and is coming again to get us. It's important. It's important that we mark who we serve. It's important that we mark our Jesus. But, but because Paul, Paul says right there, mark those who teach anything else. Jehovah's Witness has a Christ, but he's not our Christ. Look in their book, read their own garbage if you dare. If you're not sound in your doctrine, don't. But their Jesus is not the son of the living God. He's not the one of the Trinity that was without beginning or without end. Their Jesus is the first created son of many. Now that's from their book. That's, that's from their stuff. They have a Christ, but, but he's not our Christ. He, 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 he's not the only begotten son of the living God, nor did he walk out of the tomb. According to them, he simply dissolved into a gas inside the tomb. They have a Christ, but he's not our Christ. 
The Mormons, the Mormons have a Christ. He's not our Christ. According to them, he's a polygamist who was secretly married to Martha and Mary at the wedding in the Cana of Galilee. What kind of mixed up doctrine is that? They have a Christ, but he's not our Christ. Seventh-day Adventists, they have a Christ, but he's not our Christ. According to them, Jesus Christ did not bear our sins on his body on the cross, but Satan was the scapegoat, and our sins were placed on Satan. They have a Christ, but he's not our Christ. Sorry, but the Catholics have a Christ, but he's not our Christ. Their Christ, the priest can go to him on their behalf. He, he takes and he says five Latin words while waving a wafer over the crowds of people. And, and that becomes the Christ. They have a Christ, but he's not our Christ. Paul says, mark them. The liberals have a Christ, but he's not virgin born. He, he's not sinless. As a matter of fact, according to them, his life is just a good example. His death is very unfortunate. And his resurrection is nothing but a myth. They have a Christ, but, but he's not our Christ. See, understand, it doesn't take a spirit-filled service to draw a crowd of people. It takes a spirit-filled service to build a church. Crowds of people inside the church ain't the same thing. My son was reading a book, apparently this morning. I love that. He texts me, so I'm studying this, and, and it's what he sends me, because I say this all, all the time. I talk about crowds of people and size of thing but but he sends me this because it's things i've talked about so many times about we judge churches wrong by the size of the congregation the size of the congregation does not necessarily include the spirit involved within the church so what this says is certainly church growth is inevitable in a healthy congregation as the book of acts testifies but it's also possible for a congregation to grow in numbers apart from god's blessing there's a significant difference between drawing a crowd and building a church. Marketers can attract a crowd, but they can't grow a church. Cults can lure a crowd, but they can't build God's kingdom. If numerical growth is a sure sign of God's blessing, then there are some cults and stadiums enjoying God's blessing much more than many of the churches. The misconception is based upon people's assumption that God is as impressed with crowds of people as we are. And that's simply not the case. See, good speaking can draw a crowd. A good game can draw a crowd. Did y'all watch games yesterday? Did y'all see the stadiums? No. Who said no? You said no. God bless you. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be like you one day. When I, when I grow up. Because I ain't going to lie to you. I didn't miss a play. Look at my fingernails. See, see, see it, it doesn't take good preaching to draw a crowd. But good preaching can draw a crowd. But it has to be Holy Spirit anointed preaching. It's just got to be somebody that's a good speaker. As a matter of fact, you're more likely to draw a crowd by tickling the ear than you are by teaching the truth. Because the world we live in, that's what they want. The ear tickle. That's what the Bible says. That's what they want is the tickling of the ear. They're not interested in hearing the truth because the truth calls sin, S-I-N, sin, and says it's against the things of God. Well, I'm getting off into rambling. Paul says that, that those cults, those things, that's not our Jesus. And Paul says, mark them, but then he says, avoid them. 
so Paul is dealing with the church here because the Jews have invaded the church at Galatia and they too have a Christ, but he's not our Christ. They had gotten to the point by now that, that they're not bothered by this Christ. They said, add this Christ to the mix if you want to, but he's not able to save to the uttermost. They, they said, add him if you want to, but, but that their Christ requires that religion assist them. It's not Christ and Christ alone. Theirs is Christ plus. They take the law of Moses and they hang it around the necks of people. And Jesus, Jesus got them about that, man. You, you men take burdens and you bind them about the necks of people. And he says, you yourselves can't keep them. You don't even try. You dress up in your garments and you act all holy and righteous. You yourself can't keep, but you bind these burdens on people. See, our Christ, Paul says, grace and peace be unto you. Verse number four, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God. And then there it is again, our father. See, the, Jude the Judaizers say, have your Christ. Add him, add him to your equation. But alone, he's not enough. Well, you still have to keep the law. Well, you still have to keep the circumcision. You still have to keep the Sabbath. You still have to keep the, the feast and all those. Here, here, here it is in a nutshell. You still have to keep the traditions. You still have to keep the traditions of your fathers. God said all that had to be done has been done in Jesus Christ. That, that everything is settled. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. All that had to be done for forgiveness of your sin. All that had to be done for salvation of our soul. All that had to be done has been done in Jesus Christ. The only thing left for us to do is accept what God has offered. But see, this, this Judaizers, they, they had this mentality that, that, that salvation needed works attached to it. Can I tell you, that hasn't gone away. The church for years has killed itself with the traditions of men. I grew up in it. It's all about the, the, these traditions. The church still faces a lot of legalism today. How you have to dress. How your hair has to look. How you got to do. All that stuff is written as the law, but you can't show it to me in here. I can tell you this. There are a multitude of places meeting right now that have a sign out front called the so-and-so church of the frozen chosen or whatever their name says. That I am not allowed to preach this message in their church because I have on a green stinking shirt. That's a fact. I've traveled. I've preached in them. I care to change your clothes so I could have white shirts. Can, can somebody explain something to me? They want you to preach in a white shirt and a black suit. Why is it that the black suit doesn't have sin, but the black shirt does? See, that's what Jesus talked about. You men do dress up in your robes and your phylacteries, and you men make good speeches. You do stuff. But he said, inside, you're full of dead men's bones. He said, inside, you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. The church still bears that a lot today. There's still a lot of tradition. That's called Christ plus. This is Christ is enough. That's what God says. God, God says, I don't need anything else. So, so Paul, Paul said that Jesus gave himself that, that he might deliver us 
from evil. That word deliver there in verse number four, it, it means that it's to rescue from danger. The word evil there carries the idea of, of pain and sorrow, but it's speaking about the malignant evil of this world. And, and then the word used there for world, it comes from a word that simply means age. So here's what Paul tells us in that verse. Jesus Christ gave himself to rescue us from this present age of malignant evil. That's what Jesus did. Paul says grace and peace. Saving grace. Sovereign grace. Amazing. Anybody say amen? Amazing grace that reaches out and delivers us according to the will of God, our Father. If it's the will of God, it's good enough for me. So the Holy Spirit, he uses the hand of Paul in this letter to to summarize the fact that, that God's grace is sufficient. See, God's grace is God's glory. Everything that God does ministers to his glory. And the more we learn about God's grace, the more we ought to praise God with our lips and especially with our lives. Serving God is more than just talking. Revelation chapter 4, I'm almost done. Y'all still with me? Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. Here it is. For thy pleasure they are and were created. All of the host of heaven worships God. They all give praise and honor and glory to God. All of the angelic host of heaven the four beasts and the four and twenty elders round about the throne crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who, and that's continual. There's continual praise from all of the angelic hosts round about the throne that is constantly praising him. Not one of them has been given the grace that you and I have been given. Hello. They continually praise, worship, adore God. And not one of them has received the grace that you and I have been given. We are the ransomed race. We are the reason Jesus came died, rose. We are the ones that God himself wrote this book to you and I. He didn't write it to the angelic host. He didn't write it to the four beasts, the four and 20 elders. This is the book that God took time to sit down and write to you and I. The, 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 the redeemed, the redeemed will be presented in glory. Listen, there's a day coming. The trumpet's gonna sound. Gabriel's gonna blow it. Jesus is gonna step out. He's gonna call home the blood-bought bride of Jesus Christ. There's gonna be a great celebration. There's gonna be a marriage supper of the Lamb. Anybody gonna be there? I don't even care what's on the menu. I just can't wait to get there. Whatever it is, I'm gonna like it that day and be excited. Probably one of everything, Amen. There'll be more of your favorite than you care to eat. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be great rejoicing. There's going to be a time of judgment when, when rewards will be handed out and some things will be lost because of who we worked for. The things you did for the glory of men, you're going to suffer loss. 
Not salvation, but loss of rewards. What do we do with the rewards? I don't know. We lay them at the feet of Jesus. He's the only one worthy. So, so there, there's, there's a time coming. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation on this earth. Three years of tribulation, three and a half years, and three and a half years of great tribulation. It's going to happen. There's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on this earth. It's going to happen. You know how I know? Because the book says it. It's going to happen. But when it's all said and done, the redeemed, the, the ransom will, will be presented to all of the angelic host of heaven as trophies of God's grace. You and I are trophies of God's grace. Whew, somebody ought to do a lap around the house. We, we've got more to be thankful for than all of the angelic host. They are created to serve God and serve God they do. You and I were created with a choice. Jesus Christ came to purchase our soul. So Paul's signature meant something. Paul's signature meant something because he gave his life for the glory of God. He, he lived his life for, for the gospel of the one who saved his soul. That's who it was for. He didn't write one letter for the glory of men, but for the glory of God. He didn't take on one opposition for the glory of men, but for the glory of God. He, he didn't tell one lost person about the glory of men, but about the glory of God. Paul, Paul did everything for God. That's who it was for. So I couldn't help but wonder, why is my signature so worthless? Who, who, who am I? Who am I? Who am I living my life for? I mean, who am I giving praise and honor and glory to? Not with lip service, but with my life. What difference am I making, if any, in anybody else? The people that live around me, the people that work around me, the people that talk around me, the people that are around me. What difference does my life make at all if I'm truly living for the glory of God? I ought to be a difference maker. Band, you guys come on up. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit through the hand of Paul, he says, grace and peace. Ain't that exciting? Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number five, though, he says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That, that, means, that means we agree. Amen means I agree. So do I agree that he is the one to receive my glory forever and ever? I agree. See, it's important. It's important that we re remember every day of our lives who it is that we live for. You and I are called of God to... Help one another, serve one another. Y'all don't like that word, did you? Serve one another. Here, here's, here's, a, here's the number one word. Love one another. Pray for one another. Be there for one another. We, we, we are commanded as brothers and sisters in Christ to be there for each other. And, and we are to serve one another that, that God be blessed 
through that. The ultimate work is done for the glory of God. When we serve one another, we're doing that to help others so that God might be glorified. If we're doing that, that we be glorified, then we're missing it. If, if, we, if we do anything for anyone else in here that we receive a pat on the back, we're missing it. If we do a ministry out there that we receive a praise, oh, faith, Baptist church, then we're missing it. If we do something on a larger scale like a judgment journey so that we can add something to that over there, then, then we're missing it. Everything is done for Christ and Christ alone. Amen. All praise, all glory, everything that we do should be to please Him. My question for me is, is it? Are all motives pure? Are all incentives pure? Is everything in my life done for the glory of God? Because at the end of the day, it's all that matters. It's all that matters. If you guys would stand, if you would. I, I want to real quick before they sing this song. You're welcome to come pray. Altar's always open. Thank God for all that he's done. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blessings, for your mercy, for your grace. Pray there's many sick among us. There's, there's some really, there's a lot of sick right now. There's a lot of severe sickness. I would ask you to come and make intercession on their behalf and pray for them, all of you that will. I would ask you for those of you that are Christians would be praying right now that, that God would move on the heart of anybody that's not. Maybe they're on live stream, YouTube. I don't know where they are. We don't, we don't know. But we know this, the power of God can reach everybody everywhere at any time, at any place. Amen. So I'd ask you as Christians, if you would, to be praying that if there's anybody lost, that God would reach down. If that somebody is you, if you're one that's never been saved, you can change all that now. God said, Christ is enough. None other name. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is your only way to the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. If you've never been saved, it doesn't matter. You may be sitting in a tree stand right now, sitting on the lake. It may be a Thursday somewhere, and you're somewhere you ain't supposed to be, and you're hearing it on live stream. It doesn't matter about the day or the time. What matters is that your heart says, Father, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and save my soul. I know that Christ is enough. I just want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. I want my name written in the Lamb's book of life. I want to be a child of God. And I know you can make that happen. I'm asking you to save me in Jesus' name. If you're faithful to trust Christ as your Savior and ask God to save you, God's faithful to save us. Only through the